Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And we are talking about horror movies again. Uh-oh, we're the horror movie boys, and we like to talk about scary stuff. <laughs> right, Liam? Oh, I love it. That was our alternate horror, name for the podcast. Boys for life. Yeah, yeah. We, uh... We were going good. Texas Chainsaw was our first recorded episode. Hellraiser was our first released episode. And then we realized that we needed to do a podcast on... uh, What was that one we realized we needed a podcast about, Corey? That would be Airbud 7th Inning Fetch. That was right. It was Airbud. We just couldn't get away from it. And then we thought, fuck, we need to to go back to the drawing board. Could be argued horror film. What couldn't be argued a horror film that we've done? Um. Oh, that's a good point because some of the bad stuff's pretty shockingly terrifying. That's right. Huh? I'm just. I'm just wondering if I should regret changing the title. That's scary. That has, some, Brady Bunch. that has some creepy stuff in there, man. Remember with the with the scissors. You know what? I'll have to give that one to you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. Fuck. Um. There's got to be something. You would think so. We might have to rebrand going into season three. Maybe Horror Movie Boys was the way to go. They We'd made have way more listeners. They made some more Horror Movie Boys. That's what we say every time an episode comes out. Corey and I have kids. <laughs> <laughs> and those are that's the name of the kids. Yeah. They get bullied They're matching a tattoos. Lot. They need help. Their matching tattoos. Yeah. Across their knuckles, and it says in really small letters to fit it all, horror movie boys. <laughs> I didn't get myself that deep into the lore. <laughs> I kind of forgot about that bit. Speaking of getting deep into the lore, mm-hmm. this week we're talking about Scream 4, which both is meta as fuck and rhymes with that thing I just said. So that's a pretty good segue, I think. Somebody one of your ask the ones, judges. Dude. Scream is one of the few franchises that we have not yet plundered for its sequel opportunities and uh thankfully one of the few horror franchises at least franchises ever created franchises in the there. history of the world we're almost done we've, we've basically got to all we've seen every movie what is this our second to last episode After yeah that, we're kind of out it's leprechaun and then we're done that's right so it's one of the last major horror franchises we have yet to uh check out and lucky for us uh they did us the courtesy of making a movie in 2011 which is fairly recent and readily available and as i think we've mentioned before they're making another one just for us and it'll be out in god willing about a year so we are hoping to to revisit in about a year for five cream aka scream five if they do the fun the fun letter bit I'm excited for this year. I have a lot of stuff I want to do. I like life. So this year will be cool. But if I could hit a button and just like click Adam Sandler, click my way through this year to get to January, I would absolutely do it. Scream 4 at the time of its release was the most excited I had ever been for a movie to come out theatrically. And now Scream 5 has taken its place. And the fact that it's a whole year away. Oh my gosh. I so I can't take it. Uh. Would you care to wax poetically about the Scream franchise, please? Yeah, yeah. So this is, Corey, this is an episode, I've been so nervous about this episode all day long. You would think I'd be excited about it, but like I've been more anxious than anything. I have butterflies in my stomach, not because I have so much that I'm dying to say, which I do, but also because I'm so worried that like I won't say enough and I won't put enough of a bow on this because we've talked uh, about Scream 
we've kind of sprinkled it like a little breadcrumb trail throughout the episodes. You know, I've brought it up in the Invisible Man episode for sure. Corey got me that wonderful Scream t-shirt. We talked about it then. And I talked about Scream enough to him that he knew to get me that t-shirt. So um, it's been a big part of my life. And this is our first Scream episode. Crazy that we got to the boy franchise before we got to Scream. But also, uh, also fitting, I think, because if we had tackled Scream a whole lot earlier, then I definitely don't think I would have done it justice. But uh, I'm just, I'm afraid I would. Why is that? uh, Because I've just, I think I've got better at podcasting and uh, my chops, you know? Yeah. Um, And so I'm glad, as excited as I am for this episode, to hear your thoughts and to share my thoughts, which I will share in a second. I will answer your question. Um, I am also very thankful we have Scream 5 a year from now because then I will be able to revisit the franchise as a whole and again mention some thoughts that I I might uh, realize I didn't say or whatnot. So this is this is a big one for me, and that's because Scream is absolutely my favorite f- horror film franchise. I would say my favorite film franchise. The only thing that could rival it would be um, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. I think um, that's fascinating. That's a fascinating uh, yeah. pairing of things. Yeah, but it's right up there. Um, Scream. I've said before, I think on the podcast, that Black Christmas, the original, might be my favorite horror movie. But after rewatching again, Deep uh, Reflection, Scream uh, this week in preparation, the original Scream, I watched all of them actually. And after rewatching the original, I. Ah, man, I'd, I'd be damned to say that's not my favorite horror movie of all time, if not my favorite movie. Like it is, it's the Back to Future of horror movies for me um and i came to back to the future late in life whereas scream i was there really early on and so i would i would be hard pressed to say scream isn't my favorite movie um i found scream probably in proper i i watched it maybe 2005 2006 which would put me at about nine or ten years old and um before that i was really familiar with a lot of the scenes and the idea of the ghost face killer because I had seen the movie scary movie so many times. So I, I had watched the scream parody film before I ever watched scream. And so Ghostface existed to me as a joke. I character. think a lot of people our age did that. Yeah. Which is super cool because at the time scream came out, it was, it was the commentary on everything that came before it. And then it was so big and, you know, I would argue so good that it quickly necessitated commentary itself on it. And so Scary Movie came out shortly after Scream. And um, there's a lot of great jokes in there about scenes in the movie. And um, Scary Movie is just is also uh, a movie that has stuck with me so much. and I, I love it. And so I was so attached to Scary Movie that the first time I watched Scream, I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to get into it. Um, but man, dude, the first... 15 minutes of scream it's one opening scene with true barrymore and it is absolutely the best horror movie opening of all time i'll put my foot down and say that it is incredible and even at that age i was i was right in there i, I was able to cast scary movie aside and um even now as i rewatch the scream movie i do think of scary movie at times just because it's like so embedded into my brain but then scream just pulls me right back in it's it's constructed so well um 
And uh, I loved it so much that I immediately sought out Scream 2 and 3 back then. Um, and I watched them all back to back to back. Um, and then it was they just became the movies that I would show to my friends. I got them on DVD and I would have friends over to my house for a sleepover. And I would say, okay, we're going to watch all the Scream movies and it's going to be awesome. And uh, so we would watch all three of them. I got... A whole lot of different opinions on them some of my friends thought they were the scariest thing they'd ever seen particularly the third movie because that that oh, one has weird. Some, some ghosty stuff in it that is very very unsettling um and so i had one friend that was it was just like too much for him it was uh it was actually neil uh not the final neil but neil from the sleepaway camp episode other friend of the show named neil that's right scream three spooked him so bad and it's they're also movies that I would just like, if I was out and about with friends and uh, we were bored, I would just like tell them the plot of the Scream movies from front to back as best I could because they're great storytelling movies. The twists and turns in them are so strong. And um, because I got into horror at such an early age, by the time I watched Scream, I was very aware of the genre and fascinated at the idea of talking about it and poking fun at it um maybe scary movie had a had a big part in that but like i was the sort of kid that in the sixth grade i have i found this recently in the sixth grade i wrote in my notebook uh a thing that had been inspired by something i saw on the internet but it was it was reasons that the 90s are better than the 2000s (laughs) i'm not I'm born in 1996, so I don't remember anything about the 90s. You know, some, some the 90s literally like, mean nothing to us in yeah, terms of like, like lived stu- experience. Yeah, and the stuff I was writing about, like, certainly crossed over into the 2000s. So I was saying, like, uh, when um, uh, metal lunchboxes exist, when kids read Goosebumps books all the time. Um, Liam. Metal lunchboxes yeah. still exist. <laughs> yeah, but now they're back, like, ironically. And they were not back unironically at any point. They're just a thing to do. <laughs> like, I don't... This is not the focus of the thing you're saying, and I'm going to let you finish as soon as I'm done this, but I just need to say that I don't think anybody else on the planet associates metal lunchboxes with the 1990s. <laughs> Uh, I guess we won't get into it because we have a lot to say, but I will say that Corey is wrong and uh, <laughs> the audience can chip in. Okay. Um, and so <laughs> I, I, I had this list that I'd written in like 2005, 2006, like reasons the 90s is better than the 2000s. And at this point, we're only six years removed from the 90s. We're only a few years removed from uh, the 90s, like really being over. I mean, like, obviously, it technically ended when the the year 2000 happened. But I would argue that a lot of the stuff from the late 90s, you know, kept going on until periods uh, of decade crossover kind of make those distinctions sort of meaningless. (laughs) Absolutely. So um, I'm just saying that the idea of me writing that as a kid in 2006 is just so so silly but it also shows that even as a kid i was like thinking about nostalgia and i was um thinking about like commenting on your present 
place in the world in like a satirical way. I thought that was really cool when I would make short films in 2008. Um, they would be uh, some of them would be straight ahead horror flicks. But like there was one I had written where me and my other actor, which was uh, the, the other Neil, the original Neil, um, we were starring in it. And we were these two characters that had uh, found a list of things to do in a horror movie. And that was real convenient because we were currently being stalked by a masked killer in my house. And so <laughs> um, and so we would do all these things that you're supposed to do in a horror movie, which is uh, like when the killer was after us, we would run up the stairs as opposed to going out the front door, which was, of course, inspired by uh, the scene from Scream. Um, we would... Uh, Oh man, it's 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 been so long. You know, we would um we would drink. There's a shot where we drink uh fake alcohol. Um and uh the twist at the very end is that we as we're about to get killed by the killer, we unfold the paper further and we realize the list is actually things not to do in a horror movie. <laughs> and we and we had done them all, and that's what led to our uh, demise. I like that. Right. And that's that's 2008. Um, and so I've I've just always been into um, that idea of like uh, meta commentary. I really like meta movies. And I don't know if Scream came first for me or if it lined up um, perfectly. But I just know when by the time I got to Scream, I was totally into it. I thought it was the most brilliant thing I had ever seen. And um, in rewatching it in the last decade and a half, like my appreciation for it has only gone up. There are some, I would call it an imperfect masterpiece because some of my more recent viewings over the last five years have shown me things that I would say, okay, if, if uh, I had my way, this little thing wouldn't be in the movie. This is a bit on the nose, but the ideas are so strong. The performances are so strong. Most of the script is so strong and it's just such a clever idea that came at a perfect time um and it just it hits me in absolutely all the right ways and i i love it so much um and in preparing for scream 4 um well let me let me before i get to that i'll say that in 2010 when i heard that they were doing scream 4 um so you were 14 just for context that that's right. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school. Um, I started high school in September of 2010. And uh, I was so excited. I, I Again, I would have friends over to my house to watch all three Scream movies. And I would say, Scream 4 is coming out soon. You guys got to prep. This is going to be absolutely amazing. Um, and Scream 4 came out right at the end of my freshman year. It came out in April. And I made my dad go see it with me. And me and my dad, we're not really activity guys together uh you know we wouldn't go to the movies this might have been oh my god the first movie we had gone to together since i became like of age to hang out by myself you know first movie we had gone together since maybe the spongebob movie in 2004 or something but i said dad you have to see this movie with me it's gonna be absolutely incredible i could not believe that this thing this franchise that i had like obsessed over over 
what felt like my entire life, I couldn't believe that I was now going to be present for a new thing to come out. It felt like I was like I had been put in a time machine and was now allowed to experience the first Scream movie coming out. It absolutely blew my mind that I was going to be there for something new. And so I went to go see Scream 4 um, and I was fucking blown away by it, man. Um, I again, even at that time, 14 years old, I saw flaws with it, uh, one of which um, was the opening sequence. Um, I I didn't quite get down with that. Um, I thought the film looked kind of weird. Um, but all in all, just like the first Scream, I was able to get over all those things. And there were so many moments in it that excited me so, so much. And I loved watching the movie and not knowing what the twist is and knowing that like no one else in the world knows what the twist is we're all experiencing it roughly uh at the same time here on opening night and um i went on the imdb message boards after that movie and i just i stuck to the scream message board for like six whole months talking (laughs) about talking about like my love for Rory Culkin and um, watching some of the scenes over and over once the bootleg uh, clips hit YouTube. Immediately got it on DVD. Again, watched it over and over. So Scream 4 quickly became my most watched Scream movie uh, right up along with the first Scream film. And so Scream 4 is sort of my scream one i mean um in that i'm super nostalgic for it i know it feels like it's recent because like 2011 feels recent to us but by the time scream 5 comes out which is one short year away we'll be as far from scream 4 as scream 4 was from scream 3 which is super crazy to me i mean um this movie like it came out basically a decade ago in a couple months a whole 10 years ago at this point so i'm very nostalgic for the movie um it's it feels new to me still but when i actually sit down to watch it i can i can remember where i was and how different a person i was and how my experience um and my outlook on movies was different back then and so in order to prep for this episode, I rewatched all the Scream films uh, back to back. And um, I was really surprised to find that a lot of my thoughts changed. Um, I still love the franchise, but on an individual level, like at one point I would have said Scream 2 was better than the original. Uh, it was my favorite in the franchise. And this time around, I found it to be my least favorite of those first three. And at one point, um, I would have said Scream 4 was my favorite. At one point, I would have said Scream 3 is by far the worst. Like, it's it would be like huge power gap and then Scream 3. And on these rewatches, I found that I liked Scream 3 even more than Scream 2. So as I got to the fourth Scream movie, I was thinking, man, I have clearly changed since the last time I watched these first three Scream movies. Um all in a row, which was only like two years ago or something. So when I put on Scream 4, I was really, really interested to see what I would think about it because I haven't watched it in a few years and I've clearly changed. And uh, I was just, um, it, it was, I was almost as excited to watch it as I was 10 years ago. Uh, so, so that's, that's where I was, Corey. What about you, my man? Um, 
Well, my story is nowhere near that. That was quite an experience, and I'm glad that you have so much to bring to the table. I do have to make the prerequisite joke that um, we are going to talk about every franchise you have ever deeply loved just over and over again on this podcast because it happens all the time. Wait till I get into my love for police story, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I did my uh, my responsibility for the podcast and did not watch the first three Scream movies. And I have not seen the first three Scream movies. Uh, I had a bit of a back and forth about whether or not I should watch the first Scream. And uh, we ultimately decided it was probably fine. And at this point, this is very much my role on this show. So let's not overcomplicate things. So with that said, my I don't know anything about Scream 2 or 3 at all. I know less than nothing. Um, Other than they seem to be able to get the cast back every single time. And that is amazing to me. Yeah, so yeah. few and franchises director, can do that. Director, writer, too, for it's, the most part. It's writer, unbelievable. It's, yeah, and even Scream yeah. Five, like most of the cast and Kevin Williamson back yep. again. Like, and 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 I guarantee, if Wes Craven was still alive, he would be there for it. Yeah, so it's, it's so cool. This little family that has. I think that's that's another reason I love the franchise so much. It, it feels unique from other horror franchises in that way. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, the short version is I know. Everything I know about Scream through cultural osmosis, as I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, I was talking with Keiki yesterday, actually, and um, that's our friend and my roommate. And friend of the show. Friend of the show. How many times do we got to say it, people? You know it. What I had said was, it's funny because I know like Nev Campbell is like, you know, the person that people associate with Scream, but for me, what I actually associate with Scream is uh. I have no idea who the blonde girl on the phone is, but if somebody asks me to think of Scream, that's the image that comes to mind first. Dude, at, that makes me so happy. That's the way it should be. That's why the <laughs> opening scene is so good. I love that. Is that just the opening? Well, I guess don't tell me, because I'm planning on watching Scream, but... Oh, you don't even... Oh, I have no oh, idea. God, I'm so excited <laughs> for you, Corey. Holy shit. I don't know shit about Scream, other than it is itself self-aware... There's a bunch of teens in a house that like horror movies and bad stuff happens. Wow. That's my best guess. <laughs> Dude, that is awesome. Like, that is awesome. Yeah, so um so when we get to that part in this movie at Stabathon and they're watching Stab whatever the fuck movie it is and I'm like, "Oh, I get what they're doing. It's it's I get it." <laughs> like even me, the dipshit who hasn't seen the movie, I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's that thing. I know." So, Corey, have you seen Scary Movie? No. Wow. Sick. Okay, you are so <laughs> unsullied. This is amazing. I mean, to go into seeing Scream as someone from our generation, not even having seen Scary Movie. I've you, seen, like, okay, Scary well, Movie 3 or 4 or some shit. Like, yeah, yeah. Fuck those. They're, uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually, I like Scary Movie 3 a lot, but it doesn't factor into this. Um, no. Let me ask you this. Hit me. Do you know... I know you don't know anything about Scream 2 or 3, so we'll cast those aside. Well, there's ghosts you know in who, one of them. Do you know who Ghostface is in the first Scream movie? No. <laughs> wow, everybody. Everybody protect Corey at all costs. <laughs> is it Matthew Lillard? I know he's in there. I'm not saying anything. Dude, <laughs> wow. This is... Do you Wait, but do you think, like, most people know that? <laughs> am, yes. Like, am I the weird one? <laughs> I would think so, Corey. Honestly, I I 
I knew you hadn't seen the Scream movies because we talked about this. I had no idea it was possible to know as little as you do about <laughs> the Scream movies. And this isn't a slight at all. No. This is this is so fucking cool. I oh my gosh. I just wanna the fact that you've made it this far, I just mean, in I life. Just wanna, at what point do I we just, see how far I can get? <laughs> No, the fact that you've made it this far without being spoiled, I just, you, after this podcast, you absolutely need to watch Somebody is going to show up. Somebody's going to show up to my 54th birthday uninvited with a big sign out front that is just spoilers for Scream. And I'm going to be like, oh, fuck, he got me. Uh, let me put it this way: You at least need to see the first Scream before this episode goes out, because if someone are you learns that worried? this thing, <laughs> wait, about okay, hold you, on. Are you like? Are you to what degree are you exaggerating? None. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I, it, it feels like you must be because, like, I not only so I'm friends with people that watch movies. If you can believe that, um scream like never comes up i've never really talked to people about scream scream is the kind of thing that gets referenced in like readings from our film classes as being important like you know that's where i'm at with scream i actually don't know what because i know like obviously um sydney prescott nev campbell is like the focal point here I don't even know what her role is in that movie, by which, like, in the group dynamic. I I don't know. I don't know what Man, they're doing. I, I don't know why they're doing that. Like, I don't know. I am glad we're getting all of this out <laughs> of the way because I, I had no plans to get into the Scream uh, previous movies and spoil anything, but it might have happened naturally, and so I'm glad I know because I'm going to do my darndest to not say anything about those other movies. Well, now I almost feel like I, I have to watch Scream... And then we have to record like an addendum. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe, dude, maybe. And um I didn't realize the degree to which A you would be shocked and B that I'm now in a minefield. <laughs> um Okay, well just it's like the events that happen in this film, I'm glad that I'm assuming uh, they mirror the original stream to an extent. Like I'm not that yeah. deluded. Like Right, right, right. But uh like they also like tell you what happens in the first movie. Like they tell you what the ghost face is. Like who? And so yeah, 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 yeah. They said who it was? Yeah, and so if that stuff didn't jump out to you, oh, then I'm not gonna draw any I attention. Didn't ca- to you, I, I didn't catch that. That's what I'm that's what I'm saying, dude. <laughs> the fact that you're still <laughs> Such a pure, innocent <laughs> child. It's amazing. I, they do? Really? Yes, Corey. Yes. Like, they say someone's name or something? Yes. But I guess here's the it thing. If, out there. if I yeah. don't know who that is, the name doesn't matter. You know Man, what I mean? We need, like, we need to get you to watch Scream <laughs> and then re-watch Scream 4 <laughs> and you'll go, oh. Oh, it's that person. I got it. My eyes just glazed over at that point. I get it now. Yeah, man. Okay. Well, uh, so that's where I'm at with Scream. Um, this is amazing. <laughs> so real quick, um, uh, I'm going to give a quick rundown of who is in Scream 4 because the cast fucking slaps so hard. I just want to first I want to take umbrage with the fact that David Arquette is a uh, top build on Wikipedia. That just seems weird to me. 
I don't know why it would be him. I mean, I'm as, I'm a big David Arquette's cool, but like top build guys, come on. Anyway, so here's the wild cast for this movie. Already said, David Arquette and Nev Campbell did those already. Um, Courtney Cox, Emma Roberts, Hayden Panettiere, Anthony Anderson, Adam Brody, the best Culkin, Mean Creek Culkin. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I remember. Oh yeah. I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lime Life Culkin, Intruders Culkin, Columbus Culkin, Bullet Held Culkin. He's the best Culkin. Rory Culkin. Uh, right. Mary McDonnell, Marley Shelton, Allison Bree, Marielle Jaffe, Nico Tortorella, Eric Nunson. Ooh, I don't know. Anna Paquin, Kristen Bell, Lucy Hale, Shanae Grimes, Britt Robertson, Amy Teagarden, and Roger L. Jackson as the voice of Ghostface. Um, a few of those characters near the end are, or rather those actors, are um, in the movie's false starts, which we'll get to. Um, so smaller roles. Uh, really quick before I explain the plot, I want to give a fun fact, which is that so when those uh, false starts were happening, it's the second one that Kristen Bell is in. I mm-hmm. assumed that was the start of the real movie because when As I, did I when I googled the movie, Kristen Bell is really high on the cast list, probably because of how famous she is. But I yep. assumed that meant she was in the movie a lot, and that that was the real start of the movie. Oh my gosh, Corey! <laughs> am I, I am biting I, am my I tongue. Just an idiot? Like, no, dude, you're absolutely not. That was the intent, and I am biting my tongue to not talk more about the other scream movies. So, because... so I can only assume she's in a previous scream movie. I don't want to say. I don't well, she say. clearly is. You've you've implied it enough. I don't know which one. Um, is this just yeah, showing that I'm bad at doing research? Uh, don't worry about research, Corey. You watch the movie. That's all you need. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I when I saw this in the theater, I thought the absolute same thing. Um, well, like I, I thought that the opening was the opening. And then when that was the fake out, then I was like, oh, OK, now we're in the real movie with Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin. I recognize them and they couldn't uh, possibly do two fake outs. And they do it, man. The fucking they add they had and then I fully and then then I fully assumed they were doing three fake outs. Yeah, yeah. Um of course. So do you want to get into it? You want are we talking about the openings right now? I guess we are really, really quick. Um so the plot of the movie, it's the anniversary of the original Westboro massacre. And um uh oh Ghostface is back right on time for uh the gang to all be here effectively um sydney prescott is back in town on the final stop of her book tour um our one of our main characters is jill who's played by emma roberts who is her cousin and uh jill's got like a group of friends and um one of the first early on murders is a is a friend of theirs so they get intertwined in this whole thing. And, you know, the gist of it, to keep it brief, because I know we have a lot to say, is uh, Sydney Prescott's back and so is Ghostface. And uh, we got to figure out what's happening. And uh, all the characters from the previous films are back in sort of their groove because I know the deal with, like, uh, well, Courtney Cox's character kind of comes out and says what the deal is with her. So you know what she's up to. And everybody's back. And um, the important caveat being that uh, this movie is a very very direct uh commentary on the horror genre and to a lesser but equally important extent uh, a commentary on like uh it i feel like it's early but it's effectively um 
a commentary on fame in social media in the internet age, which we'll get into. And um, also a commentary on remakes and reboots. Yeah, this is like the Rosetta Stone for our fucking podcast. It's incredible that we didn't do this first <laughs> because it lays out a lot of things that we've also established just by way of watching all of these fucking movies. Um, it lays out literally in the dialogue of the film tendencies that franchise or genre sequels, reboots, and remakes have conclusions that we've also come to and i think that's neat super neat yeah and of course i i hadn't quite uh um if i thought about that stuff when i watched this movie years and years ago i wasn't as well versed in it wasn't as confident in it as i've become since watching this pod or since starting this podcast so watching the movie this time around after having talked about franchises sequel fatigue remake fatigue so much that was that was a really cool aspect of this movie um i I came to appreciate it even more the things they were saying oh i should have asked you earlier okay really fast before i forget i just want to ask so you're a really big fan of scream obviously uh where are you at with the rest of wes craven's movies give as short an answer as possible (laughs) i'm just curious love it in the sixth grade we had to do a project on our idols and i picked wes craven and eli roth um incredible people people under the stairs amazing last house on the left amazing um even his modern stuff like he's got a movie called red eye with rachel mcadams that one's really good um and i just love him as a person love him as a commentator on the horror genre um much like eli roth uh yeah, I love Wes Craven. So sad that he's gone because yeah. Scream 5 with Wes Craven would have been absolutely incredible. But I'm so glad that he got to do one more Scream movie 10 years after uh, the original and one that still feels very timely. I mean, you know, I think uh, the, the reason that this movie doesn't feel like it came out 10 years ago is because it's not dated the way that Scream 3 quickly became scream three came out right on the heels of columbine it had to be edited down scripts had to be rewritten in ways that they weren't meant to be um a lot of it is a uh, about hollywood at that time wait they rewrote the and, script um, after the movie was done because of columbine uh yes yeah oh wow and, so they went and like reshot it okay um, well, no, I, it wasn't, sorry, it wasn't okay. as far as having been shot, Got but it. they did rewrite the entire, the, the idea for the film. And the Scream movies are actually notorious for being rewritten, because by the time the second movie was going into production, quickly after the first one, Scream was 96, Scream 2 came out 97, just a year after. Um, Scream was so big that right when Kevin Williamson finished writing Scream 2 and sent it off to the studio, it was on the internet that same night. And wow. People, people knew the ending. People knew what they were doing. So they had to rewrite the whole thing. Um, I can't believe because- that there was a point in time where a studio would be like, oh, our script leaked. Guess we have to rewrite the movie. Because now exactly. it's just like everything fucking leaks. Like you can go find anything; it doesn't matter. <laughs> like that's right. Um, but the scream movies are are really a particular kind of beast because uh, they're all whodunits, um, and they rely so much on the surprise. In uh, the opening scenes, are are big ones. Um, 
uh, in their endings for sure, um, in how they're approaching the commentary angle. These are all things that like you're interested to see how they're going to do each time. Um, but particularly the identity of Ghostface, and they right. they want to keep that intact. And so the Scream movies, like if if it's out there and people know, they would a- yeah they would absolutely rewrite the script in regards to this movie. A lot of the movie was shot without them even knowing which ending they were going to use. Yeah, there was uh, also two other writers who were brought in later. Yeah, uh, Aaron yeah. Kruger which feels apropos. He wrote the third one yeah. as well. How did you go the your entire Wes Craven speech, which I liked, without name-dropping A Nightmare on Elm Street? Incredible. Oh, yeah. I guess, it, I guess it's a given, but... Yeah. I yeah, want to say it. I just watched A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Movie kicks ass. Anyway. Yeah, they were given a... Uh, per the Wikipedia, they were given a 100... The script was 140 pages. Uh, the actors were given half, so there were no spoilers. Yeah, so in a way, the first Scream movie is the purest of them all in terms of just how it was put together. You know, studio influence was still a thing, and and, um, and that's on record. There's some scenes in there that, like, uh, the Weinsteins um, made them put in because they, they wanted more blood. They wanted things to be a bit more exciting at some points. So by the time Scream 2 and 3 came out, the movies uh, were so big and... Um, studio the studio wanted like even more to do with it and also the fan anticipation was so big so they had to change they had to compromise their ideas come up with new ideas that weren't original um same thing with the fourth movie and so uh sequels and reboots gotta get bigger and better baby that's what they said and you can see that as you're watching the franchise it's like man this is a movie that has to walk uh, a tightrope with all sorts of things on either side. So they are some of the most fascinating films I can think of, regardless of if you like them or not. I just think they're they're trying to accomplish so much, these movies, and uh, it really it offers a whole, whole lot. Every single <laughs> installment, I think, um, gives you something to think about and something to talk about, whereas a lot of other horror franchises, you can't say as much. Um, did you say you had a favorite scream? I forget because I know you said you had rewatched them and were reappraising them a bit. I'm just curious where you were at with the first three coming into this one. Like, uh, which one yeah, was sure. your like technically your favorite, and then we can get into uh, Scream Four. I was pretty certain that Scream One was my favorite, but knowing that Scream Two had previously been my favorite, um, I was I was thinking that might take it away but after watching all of them i would say that absolutely scream one is my favorite of them all yeah my favorite scream movie before watching this was the song 96 nev campbell by clipping yes (laughs) oh here's my favorite okay okay you're gonna laugh at me but do you want to know the extent to which i didn't know anything about scream yep in that clipping song david dig says do you like scary movies what's your favorite and i did not know he was referencing scream Wow. <laughs> Dude, this podcast this podcast episode needs to go in like the the uh fucking library of Congress archives. Yes. This I've I've listened to a lot of Scream podcasts, Corey. I've never heard anyone coming in with with uh with this little Yeah. This Wand is really... Girl phone scary movies ghost face is all I got. 
But it also, dude, it also means that our Scream 5 discussion a year from now is going to be very different. Because by then, you'll have seen the first. You might have even seen two and three. Oh, I, I think so I'm watching the first when we're done. I think I have to. Right, we're right. And you might see two or three, two and three, two or three. Yeah, I've watched Scream 1. <laughs> two. I've watched Scream 3. <laughs> one, two, four. One. Um, so it's going to be a totally different beast. Because now I'm realizing that some of the stuff I was going to say about this movie, I can't quite say but i want you to still say it though like i don't want to i don't want to no. diminish the podcast it won't be diminished don't you this makes up for it <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> i feel like we have to record an addendum then at some point maybe not immediately but like maybe next episode because i'll have seen it we have to briefly touch on screen yeah i guess it it depends what uh how i feel like about the- it and what we say here i guess yeah, and also, like, I don't want to, uh, like, P- Scream 5 is coming out, everybody. Uh, we could save it for Scream 5. Discussion. I think it might, I think it might be best to save it. Okay, fair enough. But okay. on the DL, Corey and I will talk off record about oh, Scream well, yeah. for everybody. On the t- if you, if <laughs> we're you, we're uh, friends outside of this podcast, if you can believe it. <laughs> contribute to the Patreon. We'll, uh, we'll send you our direct messages conversations about Scream. That's true. Okay. Liam. Are you seat? Are you sitting? Are you seated? I do my podcast standing up, and I have my hands on the desk, sort of like I'm a. Do you a actually do your podcast standing bookie? up? No, no. Oh my god! But I really know, hoped. But did you know? Until I was about 15, 16 years old, never heard of a I'd chair never, before. I had never seen my dad sitting down. I don't believe you. I'm being I'm being a bit superfluous. Like he sat down when we watched Scream Four at the theater, <laughs> obviously, but. Um, he's a standing man he is a standing man he goes to work i don't know what he does there he's a stand-up guy but in the morning before i went to school he would be standing up when i would get home and basically just go on the computer all evening um so from 4 p.m until 10 p.m whatever i was doing my dad would be standing up he would watch tv standing up dude has right next to him he wouldn't use it and then he would go to bed at 10 p.m same thing the next day. Never saw my dad sitting down. That's, That's scarier than Scream 4. But I sit down while we do this podcast. His legs must be nuts. Yeah, well, they made it till about 55, and then he finally conceded. He started sitting in chairs? Yep, yeah. Or, or his now legs disappear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his legs are... They, they just... They've walked away on their own. <laughs> All right. Okay, okay. Scream I'm 4. Sitting. Okay. I... Did something I don't always do, which is sent you a message during the which, screening of the movie. Had I realized how this, this conversation is, was initially going to go, I would not have told you what that meant before right, right was, now. This is this is OG podcast stuff. Corey hasn't sent me a message during a movie since uh, Knock Knock, maybe? So Yeah, it had been a while, and uh, I'm going to pull up what it was. <laughs> Well, I'd say you one right at the beginning about the false yeah, starts because those it was were cool. early, so you were confident, I guess. And then I said, "How does Sydney Prescott live a day in her life without being endlessly on edge?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just sent a message after that was just all caps. What the fuck? And when you asked mm-hmm. what is it, I just said, "I'm nearing the end of the movie." You sent like inquisitive monocle man emojis, and then I just said, "We'll be talking about it." <laughs> so that's uh, right. Yeah, I was playing coy because what the fuck can really mean a lot of things. Yeah, my mind, I'll tell you right now. What did you mind, think that meant? <laughs> I thought it was the Olivia kill and you were seeing the aftermath and her intestines were on the 
her were on the bed. That's what I thought. Oh, um, well, I was especially deep, because, I was deeply later in the film by that point. <laughs> yeah, time wise, I guess I was like, uh, I guess I was doing something fun, and I, in between those messages, and I lost track of <laughs> and time. The time I flew. Figured, I figured at that point you were like, uh, like a half hour into the movie or something. But the, but also like, what the fuck? I figured like that's that's a pretty big moment. That is a bloody bloody death. So that's where I thought you were. Uh, where I was uh when that happened was the uh the reveal at the end the second one <laughs> yeah 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 um okay yeah it's probably pretty obvious yeah this movie fucking rules this movie rules really hard uh this movie's really good this movie it, i like that you said earlier that the franchise tends to toe a delicate line uh because this movie sure does and um it is very very at times very close to just sort of being obnoxious and it never is which is a miracle for how fucking meta and self-aware and reflexive and talking about the thing that it is it is it's kind of a miracle that um it's not doing that that it feels earnest and believable and not like you're being preached at uh i think that's really important uh the story is genuinely compelling without feeling like it's just twisting for the sake of twisting it gives you everything you need to know if you haven't seen previous scream movies the catch would be i i don't think i would describe this movie as scary uh i don't i don't think it is um can i can i ask you something quick yeah would you describe it as a horror comedy um mm, no i don't think it's funny enough (laughs) honestly i don't think there's enough like actual jokes being self-aware is not comedy but i get why somebody would call it that i just don't know if i I would i am absolutely with you i don't think any of the screen movies are horror comedy but i've i've heard them called that many a times and um i don't think so either because i think that there's a difference between uh being satirical and um uh being like self-aware and clever yeah there's a this movie doesn't really have jokes like it doesn't mm -hmm. have a ton of constructed jokes i do have a couple problems with the movie that i'm gonna mention now and we can get into it later um the big thing is that uh this movie does a really good job when it comes to what it's dealing with thematically in terms of the horror genre reboots and remakes um the nature of fame at points in the internet age whatever a lot of different things that it's juggling in terms of what it is in relationship to previous films i can't help but assume that part of the point of scream 4 is that it's taking the horror movies that came out in the wake of scream and the earlier scream movies that are influenced by those you give it 10 years or whatever and then you're able to come back to the franchise and include that in what you're sort of analyzing Um, But the movie is at its best when it's discussing those things or showing you the conclusions of those changes or, um, excuse me, sorry, showing you the, how those tendencies play out rather than telling you something um, and taking a stance on what those things mean. I think that anytime the movie tries to take a stance a definitive stance on something it is discussing thematically in particular i am thinking of jill's speech at the very end uh, or not the very end because not in the hospital at kirby's house um jill gives a speech 
about essentially wanting fame and jealousy over the fact that Sydney was all she ever heard about growing up and that Sydney got all this fame and notoriety without having to do anything um and that she just had something bad happen to her and that was it that is very much said as if Sydney would think that's a good thing which I don't think she does but more importantly part of that speech is that nowadays like you don't need to achieve anything um you just need to have something happen to you publicly and you get famous and you just Jill, gotta have fucked up shit yeah, happen to you. And Jill wants that 15 minutes, which feels like a bit early on the train, but very much a commentary on what it means to attain fame or notoriety in an internet social media age. Uh, and it's really fucking on the nose in a way a lot of the rest of the movie isn't. And I found that the movie was kind of punching above its weight in taking that stance. It's also a little bit old man yells at Cloud um in terms of its awareness of how those things work because it feels like a short-sighted view on what it means um to be famous now based on those things because it's got awareness in terms of like um at the cinema club meeting gail is like uh to robbie like do you record are you recording your entire high school experience and live streaming it and the movie's weirdly prescient and him saying yeah and everybody's gonna be doing it because he's right um, but I think that pointing that out in 2011 is a lot more interesting than the movie then deciding to say that that is part of something that is bad. Um, and uh, the last thing I'll say in terms of stuff that I don't like, this is to a much lesser extent, but the Stabathon party and that audience, um, that like rowdy ass, like they're watching the room or something and throwing shit and screaming and yelling. I feel like the way that scene is presented is attempting to make a point about the ways in which movies like scream are enjoyed that feels obvious but it also feels as if it's presenting that audience negatively and i don't think that that is like like it feels like it's trying to make a point about the ways in which people enjoy the act of watching a film and it just that scene felt kind of weird because it, it it felt like it was more making a point rather than pointing something out um, or acknowledging that something exists, but I think the vast majority of the movie, even when its dialogue is really direct, or thematically it's really direct, like when Robbie and uh, Charlie are walking folks through, like, and Kirby too does this, um, how things are structured in reboots, remakes, and horror genre franchise cinema, how things elevate as a blueprint to follow for this movie, or rather for the characters in the movie, because that all... I think baking it into the narrative means that you're acknowledging a phenomenon and representing it to a potential end rather than uh, telling me how I'm supposed to feel about it, which is why I think the speech near the end doesn't work. But that is one dropped ball among mostly great stuff. Caught balls. Yeah, I I guess. Okay, I I got it. I didn't realize what you meant when you said that at first. Uh, Yeah, but mostly it's really good. And... um, I think all the performances are good. I think everybody shows up. I, uh, I, I, I like the way people talk, <laughs> um, because it mostly feels pretty close to how people actually talk. It's got a bit of like you know movie stylized going on in there, but it never feels stupid. Even when they're explaining how genre reboots and shit work, it never feels super stupid um and i feel like a lot of problems i've had in the past is like these teens don't feel like teens 
or nobody talks like that. I'd say if I had to complain about anything else, uh, the movie doesn't... It looks visually... It's kind of bland. And especially in the sunlight, it's very bright light that's very, Mm. like, weirdly soft. You know what I mean? I absolutely Uh, know what you mean. And it looks really weird in the daylight, and then in the dark or at night, it just sort of looks like anything looks. There's nothing super distinct about it. But the the daytime stuff does look weird. (laughs) Yes, I've thought that from the very beginning, uh over the last nine years 10 years and that's something i have not changed on i think the daylight uh sequences in this movie um look absolutely awful they i don't know if they've put a filter on it they've like turned up this saturation it's very uh, it's, warm it, it's very crazy yeah. it's very christmas story too <laughs> it is <laughs> it's it extremely is. christmas story too um, um it, I, I literally I like- wrote a note that says this sunlight in the real world is so bright it's almost comedic like, yeah, and I don't know what the artistic motive was there. If it's supposed to, like, it might be doing the Christmas Story 2 thing where it's supposed to evoke feelings of nostalgia because this is our first time back in Woodsboro since the first film. Yeah, I also um, thought it was just a matter of contrast, like, between. Well, no, not really, I guess, because the first. Um. No, uh, the first development in the fact that some shit is afoot is in the daylight, so I guess it wouldn't really be that. I don't know. It was a weird choice. It didn't really make any sense. Yeah, and I've I think it it makes the movie look uh not real, which is a shame because I think a, a big part of the hook of Scream is that especially that first movie, it feels very grounded in reality. Um and uh, with the killer reveals, you know, you don't have a supernatural killer in the Scream movies. It's it's supposed to feel like reality. And I think the the brightness issue um, isn't making it feel real. It's making it feel like it's like a reunion special uh, or like a lifetime movie. And um, I honestly think if if the movie didn't have that brightness issue i think this movie would have a much better reputation because i don't know what you know about this movie Corey. like uh does it have a bad reputation but people don't really like this movie very much people are fools Um, i think if that had not been there i think this movie would be more widely accepted because um among Scream fans, Scream 3 is considered the the lowest point um, by far. I was surprised to find that I don't feel that way uh, watching them all back to back, but I certainly used to. And um, nowadays, uh, most people cast Scream 4 aside. Um, they see it as disappointing you know it's not because scream 3 is like the bottom of the barrel this movie doesn't get hardcore slagged on but there's not a whole lot of scream 4 proponents out there i do know of a few and i think the movie is going to see if it's not already seeing um a uh, like a reappraisal yeah especially because i think its themes are just um becoming more uh you know, its point is being made as as time is going on. It's, it's I think. worth mentioning, I think, that the final song on the soundtrack is called Jill's America. And I'm assuming that is close to um, when she is in the gurney and being interrogated by the media, I would assume. Uh, because the media has points where they're like, how does it feel to be a hero and blah, blah, blah. And I think themes like that is probably something that you could point to in your point about 
maybe it getting a reappraisal for feeling a bit more relevant because i feel like even even if i don't like the way the movie goes about it i think the things it's complaining about are probably things that happen more now than they were happening in 2011 yeah absolutely um and uh i i think that too i mean seeing this as a kid in 2011 a high school student i really picked up what they were putting down and i related to it all i knew where they were coming from but uh at that point you know 2011 there was so much internet scandal and uh stuff that um uh that hadn't yet happened on the internet that was that that i had a little idea was going to happen and um and so watching it again 10 years later all that stuff was just so much more true and i was thinking man kudos to the movie for um for being able to point that stuff out um and i think that this movie is close enough in uh in structure in intent um to the first movie that I think if it didn't have that brightness issue, um, I hate that we're that I'm harping on it because it should be such a small thing, but I think it goes a it's long so way. It's so weird. It, it's so if, weird. If the movie didn't have the brightness issue, I think the movie would be more widely accepted. Um, if not, if not appreciated, just accepted, it wouldn't be considered as the other scream movie that t- came out 10 years later. Because this movie, as it is, looks very different to the other Scream films. It, and so that makes it feel different. And so I think people might come back to it less. It might not stick in people's brains as much. Whereas um, for me, uh, you know, having this was my Scream movie. And so now um, I am, I'm still a, a fan of this movie and I'm, I'm getting older. I would think that... Um, people who are going to be filmmakers big filmmakers in the next five ten years maybe this will have been their scream movie as well and so it might get talked about more and uh appreciated more as the years go on but as is Corey, i'm pretty surprised to hear that you like this movie so much not because i think it's bad i like it a lot too um but just because i i've heard so many people disregard this movie and having not seen the other three, which I I, I uh, told you that would be totally fine if you didn't do, because I think this movie is self-contained. I just I thought that this movie might come across as. Is it possible opposed- that it doesn't because I haven't seen Scream? On a scale of one to ten, how much more would I be aware of the movie referencing had I seen Scream? <laughs> I would say a really good amount. <laughs> okay, so I'm wondering if the fact that I was. I didn't carry the burden of previous knowledge. Let's me take this at face value. <laughs> it's possible, but also I think the other screen movies could have prepared you for the things you dislike. Like for me, um, I really like uh, Jill's monologue at the end because I've come to expect that of the screen movies that when the mask comes off, that's when the killer is going to go. They and have a kind big of, point to make. They're going to, yeah, they're going to say the thesis that's been being hinted at throughout the entire movie. But and that's hold where, on. yeah. Is that the thesis of the movie? I don't think so. I think the movie, I think when they wrote the script, they might have thought that. <laughs> but I don't know if, like, I don't know if the movie, the the events of the movie actually fully agree with Jill's point. Mm-hmm. She does also not succeed. <laughs> 
Yeah, which uh, I think was a rewrite thing. Um, as as far as I've read and can tell, and what I feel in my heart of hearts is that the hospital scene was an addendum, and that the movie was going to end with uh, Jill um, getting let out on the stretcher and the reporters crowding around her. That is correct. uh, However, um, there was a line still about having found another woman alive in the house. It's just not clear who it was. Mm, And then dun-dun-dun. Yes. Um, Wow. I think I would have probably liked that less. (laughs) Um, So it's hard to say. I think that the movie has a lot less to say about fame and profiteering off tragedy in the age of the internet than it does about cinema. I think it has a, well, I think its point is mostly about that. That's that's true. So I did misspeak when I said thesis because the first screen movie does the same thing where the gist of it, what people remember it for and what it's most concerned about is commenting on the genre. But where the movie ends up, you do get a speech at the end and it is um it touches on genre, but it is also more concerned with something else. And so, and and the other um, Scream 2 and 3 do the same thing, and where you got genre stuff, but then when the killer is revealed, we're going to get something else all at once, and yeah, it's and- going to be um, the other idea that the movie is concerned with. It's going to be like the, it's going to be, it's the thesis of a, a shitty um, high school essay where like yeah. in your final paragraph, you bring up another, another point. And then the, the instructor would mark the essay and be like, what, what is this point? I thought that this essay was about something else. Yeah. The high school was like, did you know that we live in a society? <laughs> I will say to your point, I think that it could be argued that the Alison Brie B plot about the book tour is kind of more related to Jill's speech. I just, I yeah. I don't primarily think about that part of the movie. So, we've already been talking for 70 minutes and I was about to say, where do we start? Oh my God. I feel that um, on a deep level. Uh, I'm going to try to do this part as succinctly as possible because we already kind of mentioned it. False starts are really fucking good. Both of them. They're both great. They're fucking hilarious. Like, they're really good. They genuinely had me, but also, like, the brazenness with which they are commentary is very funny. Okay, cool. Fuck, yeah, fuck so that's uh, <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, it's just, I, again, that tightrope that Scream does, I am really impressed that it landed on the side for you where it works because it's that so is explicit sort of the litmus works, test like... um i still dude after 10 years i can't haven't really figured out where i've landed on the false openings i know i like them more now than i did at the time and that's because i know um which the Kristen are bell false. one's real good uh it's it's so good that i would have liked if that were the movie because that got me so good in the theater and i was like man this this one day i'll know why she's important (laughs) the scream movie is revealing the killer right at the beginning what the heck um and of course it's not and so it when i saw it theatrically by the time we got to the third opening i was thinking man um we're about to watch more openings for an hour (laughs) Yeah, it was just, I, I just kind of wish that it got on with it. Um, 
I think the payoff would work better for me if the third opening, which is the actual opening that takes place in the world yeah, of the film the and two, isn't a stab. The two high schoolers whose names I don't remember. I don't think that feels different from the first two openings. Stylistically, in terms of the dialogue, in terms of the acting, it doesn't feel different That's enough, why I whereas... like the openings. That's why I like the openings. Because... I think if if we're now at the point where we're equating the if the stab movies are now equal with the world of the actual characters in the in the real world, then I think we've dipped too far into parody. If I can't tell the difference between stab movies and the actual characters, then I think we've gone too far. We've seen stab scenes before in the franchise and it starts in the second movie and they are outright parodies meant to make you laugh explicit parody it is like straight up scary movie like i am we are making fun of the characters in scream whereas here it it basically they all feel the same and so by the time we get to the actual opening i can't even get invested in the characters i'm supposed to be invested in one because i'm afraid it's going to cut me off again but now that i know it's not going to and these are the actual characters um which helps i'll say it it does help because i'm able to set my brain up for that it still doesn't feel different enough that the false openings just feel like a way to um to catch you off guard, to say a whole lot without I would say having... those are the thesis of the movie in a way. Exactly. But the way that it's put up right at front, right out front, and then we go into our opening that didn't need those two bits in front of it, and the, our real world opening also feels like the same characters. It just, it feels to me like it's... Uh, they ha- they wanted to say more. They didn't really know how, and so they slapped it onto the beginning. And it is, I guess, it feels to me like the way the ending of the movie feels to you, Jill's speech. Right, like it just it feels a bit too on the nose, um, especially when we get to the actual opening. Because I like the idea of the stab movies being integrated. I like the idea of you think you're in the movie and you're not. But then I think when we actually are in the movie, it should feel it should feel like more of a relief. It should be more clear. Um, and it doesn't feel that way. And so because our Scream characters are actually talking very sim- in a very similar way to our stab characters or vice versa, then I don't think they've they've done the proper work in order to use this medium that they're using of the fake stab movies it just feels like um it feels like they're using they're they're trying to say more while doing less and it feels a bit cheap to me that's fair I will also tell you, Corey, just to make it clear, because I really don't want to lead you on here, Kristen Bell is not in any other Scream movies. Okay. That's, it's you just, did make it sound like she was, but... <laughs> yeah, not my intention. Did not mean to. That's cool. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know who the fuck's in any of these Scream movies, except for Nev Campbell, basically, yeah. and um, Matthew Lillard. The, I think the reason I it, it sounded like I was saying that is because I was actually saying something else, but I don't want to tell you what I was saying, because then you'll know something about the other so it's it's cool don't worry about it <laughs> um, um but it, it is it is cool that Kristen bell 
so famous is right at the beginning. You think you're in the movie and then you're not. Well, and I'm even totally like, so uh, how famous was Lucy Hale at this point? Was Pretty Little Liars on yet? Yes, it was. Because um, that could just as easily trick people then. <laughs> like, ab- No, absolutely. she was it's, a big fucking deal when that show was on. No, it's it's the exact same thing twice where it's a, <laughs> It's literally a big the exact same thing twice. <laughs> it is. It's a big actress that you recognize and they're talking about uh commentary on the genre. So you're like, "Oh, this is Scream." And then it's not Scream and then it does uh, Oh, now it's someone I know. They're talking about the genre. It's Scream. Oh, no. It's well, not and Scream. hell, the, the actress with Kristen Bell is fucking Anna Paquin. <laughs> like Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I think it's, uh, I think it's great. <laughs> And um, as much as the killer reveal is a big thing in the scream world, the opening is also is 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 the other biggest thing. Where when people go to see this these movies, they are on the edge of their seat as to how this movie is opening is opening. And so there's there's a lot of pressure for these movies to start big. And um, I think this movie is 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 one of the better openings. I would put it above Scream Three for sure. Um, and I really like the idea. It's just the the one thing I have against it is that when we get into um, our actual characters um, who are dispatched in the opening, I think it should feel it should it should have more weight to it. Yeah, fair let's enough. Let's continue. Yeah, let's let's move on. Um, so I'm gonna ask a couple like broad stroked questions, and we can sort of tackle it however that makes sense. Does that seem reasonable given the the size of the topic at hand? Okay, so ask me ask me a question, <laughs> um, and we'll go. I can't I can't believe it. my first question is a two part question. <laughs> we know how to go long on this podcast. Fuck. Uh, so <laughs> before before I ask you this two part <laughs> question, I gotta ask you this question, and before I ask you that question, I gotta tell you this story. Well, how All long right, do you want on. this to take? <laughs> um, All right, let's go. A, how well are they treating the established scream characters? Because I have no right. idea. Great question. Okay, ask your B. B, beyond the original Scream characters, how do you feel about the performances from the rest of the cast? Damn good questions, Corey. You have just uh, stoked within me basically my biggest thing I wanted to say about oh, Scream 4. I love that. And so so you got it. Okay, Um, and so I'll ask answer your questions right off the front. I'll answer your like... question with a different question. Exactly. We uh, certainly I have a habit of uh, going off before I get to your question. These episodes go long and stuff. So I'll get to what I want to say. But first, I will answer your question. So how does this movie treat the original characters, you say? Yes. I think the movie treats the characters really, really well. I think they feel like um, they feel like aged versions of the characters we last saw. Um I think we, we've got to remember that it has been 11 years since Scream 3. And so um, the the uh, tension between Dewey and Gale, which wasn't there in the third movie, um, they're kind of working separately in this movie. I think that that feels very real. I think that uh, Dewey's... Dewey is a bit more stern and like grizzled. Can't believe movie. that man's name is Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 Dwight, but people have been calling him Dewey for a long time. Mm, got it. Um, I think that he's a bit more stern and grizzled in this movie, but it it doesn't. But it it feels like 
um, he's he's putting some of it on because he knows he should be that way because he's the sheriff, but also he's seen a lot more stuff from the previous Scream movies and also just in his last 10 years of being a sheriff. So I think all these characters feel properly aged up. Sydney as well, I think 10 years is plenty of time for her to come to terms with um, her past. I think it's it's a good amount of time for her now to be returning to Woodsboro um, because uh, I think she she would have come she she would have been at peace with what happened to her in the past and now she's willing to reflect on it and so all that stuff feels great to me i think the writing there is good i think uh the dialogue feels like them um i don't know you know you got to give a whole lot of credit to the performances too um just because uh it's tough to tell where the writing ends and like where the performance is amping it up and making it feel like them begins because i think in this case uh 11 years later i don't think they've lost the characters at all each of the actors i think that they still know how to do the mannerisms the the intensity the the friendship like i feel like these characters have known each other for 20 years and are um bonded because of it but i also feel like that's enough time where they've sort of grown apart. And then, you know, when Dewey and Sydney see each other, it's been the first time in a long while, but they, they still feel like they have that history. They have that weight behind them. And so I think this movie does a great job at, uh, um, dealing with its legacy characters. Do you want to say anything about that? Um, I'll say something quick. Cause obviously I don't know these characters beyond this. Um, I was a bit surprised at the degree to which Sydney existed almost entirely in relation to the violence occurring. Like we we don't really see her much outside of that. The angel of death. The angel of death. The Grim Reaper. And um, I don't know if I was necessarily expecting more. I don't know if I'm prepared to say it feels like underdone in that sense. I just I was I thought that was interesting. But overall, I I, agree. I feel like they're well, like, I get it. I think that's the best thing the movie can do as somebody who isn't familiar with everything else. I'm like, I get it. I get what's happening here. I understand the dynamic at play. I like when Gail decides she's, like, back on the case and she tells off Allison Brie. She's like, still got it. Like, mm-hmm. I like little things like that that sort of help me. That is a good visual or audio shorthand for me to get a sense of what this person is like beyond the fact that she hears about Sydney writing her book and she's just like okay time for me to try to write a book except I have no fucking idea what to write about yeah uh yeah Dewey is a good sheriff man he's fine uh I yeah I I think it's good I'll leave it there because I don't have a lot of the context that you have but sure um and just to comment on your Sydney thing quick that's a really astute point and i think um i think you're right that most of the time if not all the time she is just being talked about in relation to these killings um i found from watching the first three scream films in such close proximity to each other that um the sydney character is a very deep character but it's a not not a character you get a lot of all at once i learned more about her in every single film um and while she is the center of all of this uh all the murders happening and she's the the impetus for this um i found that 
in movies two and three, it's actually Dewey and Gale that sort of reveal themselves as uh, they, they grow into the main characters of the movies in that they are the ones doing the most like they they're they're committing the most action, whereas stuff is happening around Sydney a lot. And that's not to call her a blank slate of a no, character. She has it's agency absolutely... in this film because she's she's been through this shit so many times she's very capable it's just that you don't get much of her outside of like ghost face specific interactions i can think of like two scenes and one of them is with jill and the other one is with the cinema club talking about the murders like mm-hmm. and yeah and that's a that's a tough thing to write around as well right because it's like in a under two hour movie where you've got to catch up with all these old characters you got to introduce these new characters it's all about ghost face and killing and stuff it's it would be hard to find those scenes where uh she can do more than that or feel like she uh exists outside of that world and so um that might in- be the point though <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, so I was just about to say, bringing all that into mind and what I know about Sydney, I'm able to to fill her out in my mind, knowing what I know. I think that this is a really cool approach because um, it's it's this idea that she's returning to Woodsboro for the first time since these murders originally happened, trying to just be herself. Uh, she's owned this story. She's she's written this book, and now she gets to have control over it. She's written the story down, um, and then right when she gets to Woodsboro, it all happens again, and she is engulfed by this murder, and she can't escape it. And now the story is again being written for her, and she has no control over it. And um, there's not a whole lot she can do about it it's it's out of her control and so she returns to woodsboro and immediately the city and uh the past sort of wraps her up again and uh i think i think that's a really cool um i think that's a really cool way to approach her character especially because um in the later films two and three i think they kind of are a bit confused about what to do with Sydney and how to keep her going if not uh, dire- her being directly involved with these murders. And so um, I think this is this is a good way to do it. And also it's uh, it's just quite the character where it's like, man, this woman cannot She's catch a break. So Angel of shit. Death is right. Fuck, and so it's, just, it's cool to see her go through it and 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 keep coming out and i think that you know it's it's tough to make your main character keep coming back and have her feel like an actual character but also make it believable that this stuff keeps happening to her it's another tightrope and so um i I see what you're saying there for sure how many people want to kill sydney prescott (laughs) i know hey um second part of your question Mm. the performances of the new characters Yes. I really like them. Basically, across the board. I'll start with Jill, um, Emma Roberts. I'm amazed you didn't start with Rory Culkin. (laughs) We know how you uh, feel about Rory Culkin. Much like the Scream films, I subvert expectations. I learn from the best. (laughs) Um, So Emma Roberts, I I really like her because... um, 
throughout most of the movie, she just feels like a teenage girl, similar to how Nev Campbell feels in that first movie. This is um, the story of a girl. Oh, man, I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, she just feels like a, a real a real girl to me. Um, and then when the big reveal happens and she has to do her heavy lifting because she is the ghost face killer killer, I think that she does the mania and the intensity uh, very well. I think it's it's dialed up right to 11 as the Scream movies are wont to do. I mean, this isn't the first time um, that the killer gets revealed and suddenly this character that we thought we knew is going all the way up there. And so it's always fun to see. And I think she does it really well. I think that um, she's walking a fine line between like being just uh cringeworthy shrill annoying and um she she teeters there because the stuff she's saying it's like it 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 is annoying and obnoxious and uh she's full of herself and she's um just so big and loud and you want it to stop but also i think um it feels I, i think it feels like how a person might actually be if they were that unhinged and got to that point and so i think it's fitting for the movies um and i think it's it's fitting for like the screen precedent and i think it fits for this movie as well especially because how she's acting in that last 20 minutes is so different than what we've seen um but knowing that she's the killer and watching the previous hour and a half I can I felt like I could see her like holding it inside and sort of scheming around which is a whole lot of the fun of the screen movies is the rewatching process knowing who the killer is and seeing how they behave like watching and, for tells basically Yeah exactly and I think after the first screen movie it gets a lot harder because the script has been rewritten so much and sometimes these actors might be doing the scenes not even knowing they're the killer and so uh um, the audience might have to do a whole lot of work there, and the actors also have to do work in order to uh, um, put out stuff that could either be a red herring or could be taken as believable if it needed to be. And I think she does a good job at that. I'll pause to let you talk about her while we're at it. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you've said, honestly. Um, I think it's good. I think um, uh, the best thing emma roberts could do is not arise my suspicions for most of the movie yes <laughs> and, mission, and mission accomplished so that's really all i need to say absolutely i think the screen movies are basically master classes in casting um and uh you know that's why the announcements for scream 5 are so interesting like i want to know what dylan minette is doing. uh what so is, do i what is he gonna be up to you know <laughs> um and uh and if he gets to be the killer dude like that oh that'll be when it was when it was revealed that rory culkin was the killer and i was watching in the theater i was so elated because i was already a huge rory culkin man me and culkin go way back you love rory Um, culkin and you love murder absolutely yeah yeah yeah. and so i was already huge into rory culkin and so when the scene happens where he stabs kirby and i knew that we were going to get more rory culkin in this movie i was so fucking excited like you can't you can't even believe man um i like re-watched that uh scene where he reveals himself on youtube so many times um, <laughs> and so 
I'm, all that's to say that I like Dylan Minnette a whole lot. And so if it turns out that he's the killer, um, regardless of the character he's playing, I'll just be so excited because that means he'll get to do some cool stuff. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, casting is really important in the Scream movies. Um, and I think uh, the first movie is a great example of that. So very excited for you to see what they do there. And I think Emma Roberts is really perfect in that regard because she she does. She she feels um, very uh, um, inoffensive. She feels like a, a really good pick for a new final girl, you know, Sydney 2.0, because Sydney, I'll spoil it for you right here, Corey, Sydney is not the killer in the first movie. Wow, so really? Why, Whoa. So, so why would Jill be the killer in this Honestly, movie? Honestly, you know? it would have been extremely funny if you had said Sydney is the killer in the first movie. Dude, but maybe in Scream 5, no one knows, man. No one fucking knows. At what point will Sydney just lose it? Tune in. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. And then I um, think what's good here is like, if you're saying that Jill is good for being sort of like what you would expect, not what you would expect, but like a good, genuine, earnest feeling, like this is what a teenage girl is like. Um, Did I really like Hayden Panettiere? Because she's cool as shit. <laughs> Oh, yeah, dude, speak right to my heart. I will tell you <laughs> that um, r regardless of Scream 4's general uh, acceptance or disregard, people love Kirby. So I'll get that out yeah. there, and I am with them. Yeah. She's cool. She's cool. She's, as, fucking, she's just fucking cool. Like, it's that. She she's just, just cool. She just has it. Like, sometimes a, a character and an actor, like, you just, you give them some lines and they just kind of know what to do yeah, with them and, and they have a vibe. You want to watch them. You want to be their friend. She's not just cool because she's a girl in a movie listing off of the names of horror movies. That feels like a very important distinction to make. Like, it's not oh, just like, oh, she's doing the references so cool. Like, the, like, I hate you. The word vibe doesn't communicate a lot, but like the vibe, she's just fucking cool. <laughs> like leather jackets, cool short hair, makes fun of dorks, but in a kind of nice way. <laughs> just cool. Yeah, just cool. She's, got, she's just got big time charisma, man. And uh, she wasn't she on Heroes for nothing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she does a whole lot with what she's given, and it is really cool that um, she is the the big time horror movie person because though um, the screen movies have a habit of like it seems like most characters in the movie have like seen horror movies, kind of know what they're talking about and stuff. Um, she goes the extra mile, but it doesn't feel cheesy to me it doesn't feel too written like it she she really really sells it and um i think i think she's great i think she uh she does that casual teenager thing really well which is what you want in a scream movie because stuff isn't going to get intense for these teens until the last 45 minutes or so we basically we, we know that when we watch these movies and so the characters have to have writing and more importantly, they have to have performance that makes you want to watch them and just hang out with them um, in the meantime. And I think out of all the cast members, the um, new and old, really, uh, in this movie, I think she does the best at that, where I just want to I wanna watch her, I want to hear what she has to say, I want to hang out with her. And then when the script demands her to 
cry, scream, be afraid, be powerful. She does that as well. Um, Biggest complaint? So I think, yeah. Let her kiss Rory Culkin. Trevor, you fuck. Oh, dude. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that really quick. That is my favorite scene in the movie that is in... Honestly, it might actually just be my favorite scene. I was going to say that like it's my favorite like small scene in the movie, you know, it's not a big moment, but um it that small moment might be my favorite moment where it Rory, uh I should say Charlie and Kirby are um getting kind of close and watching Rory Culkin, the real human man. <laughs> yeah. They're getting everyone else has left the room and so they're getting kind of close watching this movie. Kirby says to Charlie that he should make a move on her. They go to kiss and then Jill's uh douchey ex-boyfriend Trevor comes in just hooting uh, and hollering. looking for Jill and and th- okay, now we'll talk about the actor for Trevor I think because this is absolutely his best moment. I think he this is where I knew that they had picked the right guy. Um and this time around, this scene really blew me away. He comes in, um, he's looking for Jill, so he interrupts them, but he doesn't notice that he's interrupted up, interrupted them. And then he sees that they're watching Stab. He says how much he likes this part of the movie. He sits down, he reacts to a, a big ghost face moment in the movie. Then he realizes that he's interrupted them. And all the acting that that dude does in that minute is like, it has so much character. Um, he's. Did I just like, interrupt something in here? Yeah. Oh, shit. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's, it's so good because, and, then, and, and because I know real people in real life who have walked in on people making out that you didn't think would make out. And what they say is that exact thing, that exact yes. way. <laughs> Yes, he feels so real, man. I hate to keep saying it, but then and then when he's watching Stab too. Oh man, I love this part of the movie. Just when you think they're all safe in the house, Ghostface comes in and bam, <laughs> and he like and he jumps back on the couch, and it is just so full of like character and charm and um in my opinion up until that point the Trevor character did not have that. I think that um while this scene proves that the casting is really good for him um i don't think he had the material to feel like anything but a red oh, herring fuck. up until that point fuck yeah they them what? pronouns for the actor I didn't, oh yeah i didn't know that okay so uh when trevor um throughout every scene prior to that big one um they feel like a red herring they feel like uh it's just supposed to be douchey ex-boyfriend that you've seen in a bunch of other movies. They feel pretty interchangeable with uh, a, a like a tense ex-boyfriend character that you get in these sort of things. Um, and in that one scene, so much character and expression comes out. And I wish that there had been a bigger opportunity for it them to show that part of the character before that um i just don't think that the writing allowed for it and this is my i'd say my biggest problem with the movie besides the lighting thing honestly is that because we have to balance out the old characters with this new generation of characters that are supposed to be 
you know, the next generation, this is like a reboot type remake sequel movie. Um, we have analogs to every one of the teen characters in Scream here because we're now balancing basically like the two main casts of two different movies. I don't think that the new characters, the new teen characters get enough opportunity to feel the way that Trevor feels in that scene or the way that Kirby feels throughout the entire movie. Um, and maybe some of that is performance because we like uh, Hayden's performance so much. But also, I just think that there's so much going on in this that we don't have enough of just the teens by themselves talking, uh, getting the opportunities that the original screencast got in the first movie. And while I understand how hard that is to do, uh, like on the filmmaking level, we've got to have, we're here for Sydney, Dewey and Gale ostensibly. Um, I, I would have liked more of the teen characters to not just feel like analogs of the past and to have more of those moments so that when shit starts going down in the last 45 minutes, I'm feeling it, uh, a bit harder you know even i think robbie has a really good show of it because his gimmick is so strong of the camera on his head <laughs> and it's uh, so, so I think, weird like yeah did that technology actually exist at that point that could live stream in a meaningful way in 2011 with a security camera on your head like <laughs> i bet it did man like i don't think it was a quality <laughs> Well, I don't know. We know movies have stretched the limits. Of before, course, so I didn't actually not, that didn't but... actually bother me, but I'm just like I just like that that's his bit, honestly. Like, and yeah, it's pre- and I think it's prescient as fuck. Like they were right, so I mean, absolutely. And so I think in terms of writing, his character gets the most to do, um, and and I like the performance a lot there too. Um, so I think he's fine where he is, but yeah, in terms of Rory Culkin. Um, charlie in terms of the character trevor uh in terms of um i think kirby does pretty good jill is really the the comes in hard at the end there um but before that uh she's just she's very unassuming we don't get the character depth that we got of sydney up until that point in the first Scream movie. Um, Olivia, who gets a brutal death. I don't know any really anything about her. Um, and so I think my biggest hang-up with the movie is that in, in how difficult it must be to juggle both, uh, both casts. I think um, by, the, by the end of the movie, uh, they sort of just feel like some of them just feel like stab characters like at the beginning where it's like i i can't really remember the the two people who actually get killed at the beginning of this movie any more than i can remember uh lucy hale uh getting killed you know like yeah i get what you mean the depth isn't quite like they're used to push the movie forward Mm -hmm. um what do you think of the all those newer characters that we haven't talked about yet I only glossed... Well, I think we talked about him. <laughs> you like Robbie? You like Charlie? Yeah, I, I didn't mean to gloss over, but it's just because like I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I think, again, I know that Charlie ultimately is involved, but I think uh, the best thing that they do for at least part of the movie is um, 
not arise suspicions because the whole town appears to be pretty fucking into this whole ghost face thing. Um, they're throwing an entire party about it in a barn and fucking up all the streetlights with ghost face. So their interest in it is not necessarily a red flag and mm-hmm. um, their interest in the main girls is also not necessarily a red flag. Um, I don't think they really become red flags in terms of like potential killers until the big cinema club speech that Robbie and Charlie give. Um, because I could see them laying out the plan and it's like, Oh, of course it was them. They literally told us what the plan was. Um, right. I just think, I think they're really strong performances. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Rory Culkin does a great job with genuine surprise when he gets turned oh, like, on. Like when he, when he's stabbed. Oh yeah. yeah. That's his best. He's scene. like, fucking, that is... he's like, what, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Not how we rehearsed it. He actually feels like he's dying. I would say he's the best since also, uh, something we see in the first scream. I think his death is amazing. Speaking of Jill fucking herself up. Holy shit. Mm. That worked for you, eh? Uh, well, I laughed a little bit because it was a little bit much, I think. Yeah. But it's, it's fucking I, wild. It's just wild that it's that they, they show it all. Like, when she just runs into that fucking picture frame. Absolutely. Like, I, think that, I think that is so terrifying. And I think uh, Emma Roberts sells it so yeah, well like that the, it never... The, the prepping for, like, the shoulder stab is, like, yeah. really yeah. good. And then, and then the aftermath once it goes in. And she's like, fuck! Um, I've heard that people can't take that whole, uh, sequence seriously at all. I get it. It's a bit much. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so I just gotta, I guess, count myself as one of the fortunate ones who it works for because I, I love that whole bit. And in terms of Rory Culkin, my favorite actor of all time, um, I think, uh, he would have been better off if the movie had not been going through these rewrites because my from what i see on the screen my suspicion is that throughout a lot of the movie he didn't know that he was going to be the killer and he's just got to play it as ambiguous as basically everyone else and so watching it again i i do see moments where i'm like oh that's that's a look or that's something he said where uh He's definitely the one doing these killings, and I get it, but other people have those too. Whereas in the first film, where is, you know, like I said, it's the only one that is unsullied by really um, uh, these rewrites, and the script is just solid from the beginning. Um, I think that the, the identity of Ghostface is able to be foreshadowed in a very realistic fascinating way and i would have loved if rory culkin had more of that opportunity that i just don't think the script afforded him um but because once the reveal does happen i think that's when he does his best work is when he when he stabs kirby um and when uh he's talking about the plan um and when jill stabs him i think that's his best stuff in the movie and so uh and i just i think rewrites hampered it yeah and like we said uh nico tortorella as trevor they are great because like um Trevor the character just sucks. Like he's super believable, but like it's clear that he did some really like messed up relationship shit and just can't seem to think that what he did was that bad. Like mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and just can't really like he's just like nah I'll figure it out and I think Nico Tortorella they do a great job like just being very sort of aloof to basically everything that's happening around them at any given time whether it's Kirby and Charlie or the fact that Jill is clearly genuinely hurt like really good stuff there I was pleasantly surprised I think overall because I think you have to be so careful with performances in movies like these to not make it a joke Um, yes and i think everyone does a good job yeah and um i like like the um, scene when robbie dies and he's like oh my camera's backwards Uh uh-oh whoops (laughs) like yeah yeah um when he bumps into that hanging flower pot i remember that being my biggest jump in the movie i think (laughs) that's just that's one of those little things that like uh another director might not think of and might not be able to pull off well but it's uh it hits and i think that works really well what do you think about his last line before he bites it where he says i'm gay to ghostface and similarly when anthony anderson's cop character gets stabbed in the forehead which is so fucking metal and then he (laughs) says fuck bruce willis before he dies what do you think of stuff like that uh fuck bruce willis made me laugh so it gets a pass Mm -hmm. uh i'm gay does not get a pass um i know why he's saying it because they establish it earlier in the movie guess what folks that's not a that's not a get out of jail free card it's fucking stupid uh and i don't like it (laughs) gotcha i think um they're just two different things I don't know, fuck Bruce Willis is funny. Gotcha. <laughs> See, that's know. funny, because I thought the opposite, actually. I thought fuck Bruce Willis um, was it's a... It's so uh, stupid that it made me laugh. <laughs> it is. It's stupid, and the fact that that is, like, one of the most effective deaths in death scenes and, uh, like, moments in the movie where he gets stabbed out. in he the just, forehead, yeah. and, then, and then he's, like, stumbling around, swinging his arms. I think that that is so scary and sad and uh um and he gets stabbed in the brain too so then for that to be undercut by fuck bruce willis um (laughs) like i i I get it and sure it might it very well might have made me laugh but um in thinking about it i think that it is a moment that detracts from something that i would otherwise say is like one of the better scenes in the franchise whereas the i'm gay thing makes sense to me because um not like on a not just on a comedic level um because it's set up earlier by charlie saying basically to survive a horror movie nowadays you have to be gay is that even because that's the one thing uh, that they said about the genre i was like i don't think that's true yeah i was thinking i was thinking back to 2011 and i couldn't quite think of any horror movies uh around i didn't didn't know where they were pulling that final person lasts yeah Um, like (laughs) so i guess maybe they were maybe they were anticipating the horror movies to come and uh and maybe and i don't think that panned out either but maybe it's more of a commentary on like in the future you're gonna have to be gay i don't know um but in the future we will all be gay yeah (laughs) get ready Um, folks but in terms of that being robbie's last line it checked out for me because i was thinking this is a dude that is is watching all these horror movies has all these theories him and charlie they hang out they're boys they uh they write down and and discuss like 
where the horror movie genre has been, where it's going. If they've agreed on they've agreed on this thing that in order to survive horror movies, you have to be gay. Um, then I don't take Robbie's thing as like a get out of just a get out of jail free card. I figured that like he is gay, and so he's he's um, he's realizing that um like he's 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 realizing that if life is a horror movie then i should be the one that can survive and so it's like a a last it's a genuine last ditch effort as opposed to uh like just him trying to scramble out of the situation like i to me it it doesn't read as a last second punchline it was that it felt to me more like a an act of sincere desperation from the character yeah that's totally fair totally i'm not gonna pick an argument with that Um, all right uh what's next man i really only want to i want to try to do this with one more question because it's been two hours Mm -hmm. but we got scream five in a year but but this question is huge (laughs) because the thing that we haven't really talked about is like the the kills or like the way the movie progresses and i know that what i'm asking is let's talk about the rest of the movie but in in a broad sense like how do you feel about like the mobilization of ghostface in the movie and like how that intermediate part because we've talked a lot about the end uh but like how things build like how do you feel about the way those things are used that's another damn good question i'm so excited to talk with you about all the screen movies once (laughs) you've seen them because these are these are the questions you got to be asking this is so good um i i really like to start with the 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 methods of death in this movie we got someone being thrown off a parking garage we've got the stab through the forehead like i said stab through the Um, mailbox slot that's yeah that's great um was much better than the knife just having gone through the door like that surprises me every time that i think it's just a stab through the the wood of the door and then it's the mailbox and it's like oh fuck like you should have known but there it is like that makes sense um you also get as briefly discussed olivia's brutal brutal death which is really the first time outside of our opening that you see Ghostface go to town and that is so effective to me that if they had found a way to rejig that to make it the opening I wonder if it if I would like the opening more or if it's cool would, would it have been it is would it have been too much for them because I don't know how gory the right, other right, ones right. are so would it have been like would it almost have been weird for it to be like whoa what the fuck like this is yeah. a lot. Like <laughs> See, that's 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 what I'm thinking. Um, and I don't know if I have the answer. The opening in the first movie has a really surprising moment of gore, um, similar to the intestine shot in this movie. So maybe it would have worked, but also it it might have been promising something that you're not gonna get, or it would have just writing felt... a check it can't cash, basically. So Corey just went to the bathroom, and while he wow. was gone, I I. I decided that I do think the Olivia death um, or some sort of similar death would have worked better in the beginning as the opening kill. Um, You could still have the false openings, of course. um, But I think then the Olivia thing would be even more effective because that kill is so good that 
that's the moment where I'm like, oh shit, like this is real. We've got, I, I really want to know who Ghostface is because this is so savage. It is so different from the rest of the franchise to answer your question. I'd say it's absolutely the most brutal death in the franchise. Um, and so I think that the, that, that death is fucking awesome. But of course the setup is so important to it too, with the phone call hiding in the closet um and so if it were me i i I would find a way to rejig that and make that uh, the our big opening with the closet fake out as well too because i think that that whole scene is is one of the best kill scenes in the franchise how do you feel about that one um to be honest i did not actually clock the gore super hard um or it didn't really strike me um I don't know if it maybe in the way that it meant to or or what, but like, um, I think I was grappling more with the totality of the scene rather than that specific aspect of it. I also don't know yet if that level of gore is unusual or not. So, um, I like it, but I, uh, as someone who's new to this, I like the opening as is more because it, it sort of like sets the stage a bit better for what I'm in for in lieu of uh just being like super striking although i think you're right in that scene being like that yeah and i think there should there should be a way to tie the two aspects together because the the opening of scream does it you get commentary at the beginning of scream um some really really good stuff and then you get holy shit this is a this is a horror movie that goes hard and um I think the Olivia death does it so well. I mean, when Ghostface comes out of the closet, you get a quick shot of the knife. The going other closet. No, I didn't say I was in your closet, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, awesome. <laughs> what closet um, is he gonna be in? Um, yeah, you see Ghostface's knife goes through Olivia's hand as she tr- as she's trying to defend herself, and then the desperation of her friends seeing it from across the way, and there's blood going all over the walls, and she's just getting slammed around. It is that one is awesome, and um, the parking garage one is great too because that's just classic horror movie stuff. God, I kept you know, being so worried that she was gonna get one of those terrible ankle slashes. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, the way she like double checks the back seat yeah. is just. I so I good. appreciate that these characters are doing those things because that's the shit that you don't normally see people do. It's like, yes. huh? I'm in a weird headspace. When people are like, I've checked shit around my car when paranoid. Like people do that. Let's see some like earnestness from like Allison Bree's character being like, well, this is all fucked up. I guess. People, people are being murdered. I should make sure nobody's in my car. It's a reasonable concern to have in Woodsboro. Absolutely. So the tension is just like so fierce. The phone calls are just... Um, part of me believes that there can't be a bad Scream movie because the concept is just too good that we have a, a killer reveal. Um, you know, it's a different killer every time, but the method is always very similar. And then we have the phone calls with a distorted voice where someone is taunting another person. And it's just like, it is the perfect combination, a dude of like black Christmas meets Freddy Krueger meets Michael Myers. Like it's just, it's so good. And so when we get the phone calls, um, all things that will be named later in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When we get the phone calls before Olivia's death, before um, Rebecca's death, 
I, I love that dialogue. And then when we get the big moment in the case of the parking garage, when Ghostface comes down on the hood uh, because the, she notices the hood is kind of open. He has the wires in his hand. Um, and uh, she sells her death really well when she's stabbed too. And then you get the even bigger moment of her body flying off and interrupting the police conference. It's just like the movie knows how to go from its uh, small tense moments to its big uh, declarative moments so well. And so that, that kill was awesome too. Yeah. And um, do you feel like the way in which the characters start gradually kind of figuring out what the deal is as things are escalating. Like, how did that feel? I'm thinking in particular, mostly of like the stabathon sequence, because I think it's the one that deviates more from the rest of them. Uh, and I was wondering how you felt about that one. Um, what do you mean by the stabathon sequence and how people start to reveal what's going on? Do you mean like not, Gale? not, not those things specifically necessarily like, I meant like because as the movie goes on, people start to get a better sense of what might be happening. But as a second sort of thought to that, um, mm. that's not necessarily directly related to that. I just said two things at the same time. Um, Got you. Like that's the se- that's a sequence that I feel like could potentially be um, a bit controversial. Nah, that's a very strong word for what I mean. But like because it it's kind of a big indicator of what the plan is for whoever's doing it and it's one of the it i don't know what i'm trying to say how do you feel about that sequence the stabathon sequence <laughs> yes i don't know oh man yeah i i really like that because uh, i like it setting in the narrative as the false ending um uh, because it kind of calls back to the beginning of the movie where like you don't actually know is this the is this the part where everything is going to go down i'm not sure there's a lot of people here um i like the setting rural farmland but then inside you've got all these rowdy teens i like that gail is the one to go in and investigate it she and looks then, so hilarious when courtney cash just like puts the ghost face yeah. mask on, on a otherwise regular outfit <laughs> like yeah, that's good gift material. That made me think, man, what I wouldn't give to be one of those extras that got to walk by and get danced at by Courtney Cox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, when she sets up the cameras, that's so good. Uh, security cameras, their surveillance cameras are used a lot in the Scream f- franchise. And I think um, in almost every a time they're used it's in a really clever way i think this is really great too where ghostface starts to find the cameras one by one and so you know that whoever it is has been watching her and knows that she's there and then um you get gail being hurt really badly um surprised me a whole lot and uh um i just i just think it's one of those really creative great set pieces that feels feels very fitting and um feels feels even better when after that we go to kirby's house for the more uh subdued ending um set yeah um well hey i think one more question well part of the question you were asking me i think was also how i felt about Ghostface like getting around and his method of moving and I stuff? maybe didn't the mean timeline it. I maybe didn't mean it literally 
like I guess what I'm what I'm curious about is like because the way slasher movies tend to operate is um it tends to escalate and it tends to sort of ratchet up tension until it reaches that end that we get. I guess we get two twists, but like, and basically what I was curious about as somebody who had seen the other movies is how you felt about the way the movie was like using Ghostface and how those things were progressing. Sure. Yeah. I think the movie uses him really, really well. I think that is evident from what we've just talked about with the kills. I think that, um, uh, that, huge kill with olivia um really sets him up it 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 shows that whoever is doing it is into the mind games uh is um trying to make a point is um the the method of killing is going to be creative but we're also going to see some really surprising stuff so i i honestly think after the opening um once we get to the olivia kill i think that's when the movie really starts um ramping up and getting in there because i i i don't i barely even remember ghostface's role in the three false openings or more importantly the the third real opening of the movie i don't really feel the uh the tension there like it feels a bit more paint by the numbers whereas um the the ghost face that comes when in the olivia death um is much more memorable to me. And then I think and it's from so that point physical. on, like it's fucking brutal. Yeah. Like it's not just the organs shit. Something that I meant to mention earlier is like, she's getting fucking thrown around. Like it's yeah, brutal no, and it's, it's that's, like cruel. That's it. Like going in this time, I remembered that we, we see uh, her insides and it's gnarly, but I was shocked way before we saw that this time around when the knife goes through her hand, she's screaming, she's getting hit against the walls, blood is going everywhere. Like that is so Friday the 13th than... remake style Jason yeah, is what comes yeah. to mind. It's so different than <laughs> what we see elsewhere. Um, So I like the way Ghostface gets around in this movie. I feel like basically whenever he or she shows up um we we know why they're there um in the first scream movie i can't say that's always the case uh there are a few moments where you see ghostface and it feels like um hmm, maybe a studio exec just said it's been too long since we've seen ghostface whereas this movie it, it feels like a real character that is doing something with a purpose the only exception to that that I'll bring up, but I also might have already reconciled in my head is after Ghostface's first phone call with Sydney, where he says, uh, I'm going to keep you, you're going to stay alive as long as I want you to, um, and uh, you'll only die when I'm ready for you to die. Until then, I'm going to make you suffer. Um, and then Sydney leaves the bed, leaves Olivia's bedroom, and immediately Ghostface comes for her and goes to stab her and uh that doesn't make a whole lot of sense t- to me um but I've also been thinking about it and I thought you know maybe that's the plan that Charlie and Jill said was going to happen but in the moment Charlie got like way too excited and uh and he couldn't help himself and uh he had to do the thing where he 
he hits Jill to make her not look suspect. And in the midst of it, he just he went for Sydney like an idiot. Um, and maybe if that if that had been mentioned once Jill and Charlie reveal themselves, maybe she like scolds him or something that would make a bit more sense to me. But that that doesn't quite line up. And I don't like when that happens where the the character that Ghostface is revealed to be and shows himself to be um, in the twist and also on the phone doesn't quite line up with the actions of the mysterious killer. And that that's a problem that does happen throughout all of the movies, I think. I guess kind of what I'm wondering at this point uh, is if there's anything that you think is important that we haven't touched on yet. Otherwise, we, we could always save some of this for the inevitable Scream 5, give people something to look forward to. Exactly. That's 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 what I'm thinking, man. I uh, I think my thoughts on it have come out gradually, and I've been it's it's been nice to explore this as I go because this is another movie that I didn't take notes on. I just felt it, and so I wanted to see where the conversation takes me. Um, it's a movie that I that I go back and not not entirely back and forth on because I've never disliked it. As I said, I loved it back then. Um, I think my most recent watch that had me a bit suspicious of how I would feel was two or three years ago. I I watched the movie and I didn't think it worked as well for me. I watched it in like the middle of the day at one point. And um, oh, can I say, actually, that's a good point. I watched mm -hmm. this movie at I started it at like like nine in the morning. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a lot of daylight sequences. There, yeah. <laughs> um, and this time around, I, uh, I, I, I really liked it, but it's definitely, I feel like it's the most conflicted as I am that I am on a screen movie, and maybe it's just that way because I'm podcasting about it, so I'm forced to really think about these things. Because maybe if I were to talk about Scream Two on podcast, there would be a lot that I'm trying to work out as to why that went from being my favorite in the franchise. Like I thought it was at least, at least a 10 out of 10 right there with uh, the right. first scream. Um, and now like it's, I, I letterboxed it down at like a seven and I'm still trying to figure that one out because there's so much I love in that movie. And so um, this is a franchise that is just always changing for me. And scream four is one of those two where I know that I like it, but I still I can't firmly plant it at a position yet because the movie's doing so much, saying so much, has a lot of tricks up its sleeve, but I think also is marred by um, studio, what feels to me like studio interference, uh, some production issues, you know, like Kevin Williamson having to leave before um, seeing the whole thing through and Aaron Kruger had to pick up some of it. And... Um, so there's just some stuff in there that I'm not quite sure about. And so for me, the movie oscillates between being like, but honestly, between like a seven and a nine. And so uh, I know that I like it. I just don't know how much. And so it's it's one of the more fascinating Scream movies to me. And so um, I don't have anything else I want to say on it right now. But come Scream 5, I'd be more than happy uh, to talk more about it and hopefully you've seen the other Scream movies by that point and we could get into it because there's just so much to say about all these movies and so um, this is a good place to start. I've, I've relieved to have got some of this off my chest at least. 
in the simplest of terms, I was very pleasantly surprised and really enjoyed the movie. I think a lot of it's impressive. I think it struggles to take a stance on the things that it feels like discussing, but I think it's great at presenting those ideas and playing them out to a conclusion and leaving that up for an interpretation rather than prescribing a result to that and telling me that something is good or bad or whatever. Um, but that aside, overall, I was really impressed and it's just kind of simple as that. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. It's uh, I'm so glad to hear it and... Um... It'll be great to hear your thoughts on Scream, and it'll honestly be great up. to hear your it'll it'll be great to hear your <laughs> thoughts about uh, Scream Four either after you've seen uh, the other movies or if you've revisited this again because I think it's something that you're going to have a lot more insight into after seeing the others. And so this I'm glad I'm really glad we got this on record. This is awesome. It's first day of the rest of our lives. <laughs> Truly, and uh, I'm still I still think my hope is to watch Scream tonight um, if I don't fall asleep. Fuck yeah. But, you know, we'll see. We'll figure that out. We'll keep people posted. I'll, I'll tweet if I watch Scream. Sick. <laughs> and uh, do you want to get out of here? Because this has been a long hauler. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do cool. it. Cool. Stay tuned for the next year. Uh, listen to all of our future good episodes and the bad ones, which don't exist. All the good ones are all of them. Maybe not my most elegant way of getting people to continue listening, but, you know, <laughs> the idea is out there and I'm going to leave it in. So uh, thank you all once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and how you would do a false start stab intro if you were doing a Scream movie. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And we have custom-made soundboard clips courtesy of Jason DeLine, who was on Instagram at DeLineMan. And I'm going to fix the soundboard, I promise. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd at Graham the Mallow. Be sure to check out what I rate Scream 4 and mm. let me know what it is because damn I have no idea I don't even know what it is I'm crazy <laughs> and uh oh also uh on your podcast service of choice rate us review us share us with your friends five stars baby five star podcast you love it um you can find we are the scream of podcasts we're the scream 4 of podcasts really good but generally bad at making a point <laughs> <laughs> and like somewhere between a 7 and a 9 <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter and a letterbox at Mr. Corey Price, and you can hear my other podcast uh, with friend of the show, Final Neil, where we are rewatching Mortal Kombat Conquest, the classic fantasy fighting TV show from the 90s at MK PodQuest on all your podcast services, on Twitter, on Instagram, and now on YouTube, because that man is a fucking machine. And um, with that out of the way, we'll catch you here next time for more. They made another one. <laughs>